Christmas Clatter is proud to partner with one of our favorite companies, Shady Rays, over at ShadyRays.com. Shady Rays has been the only sunglasses I've used for years now. A lot of you guys know I carry mail for a living, so through the rain, snow, the wind, sleet, sun, you name it, I've carried through it. And even through vacations in the Rockies and on the beach, I've always had my Shady Rays with me. I'm very particular about my sunglasses and love my Shady Rays. They fit great, they're durable, and they're reasonably priced. On top of that, they have a great lifetime warranty that you really need to check out, and it is as good as they say it is. But more importantly, if you buy a pair of sunglasses, that also buys 20 meals for the hungry through Feeding America, which I just love it when companies are uh, have a conscience and have a, a charitable aspect to them. And you as a Christmas Clatter listener, go over to ShadyRays.com, use promo code XMASCLATTER and check out to receive 25% off and pick up a great pair of sunglasses for you or a gift for someone you love. ShadyRays.com, promo code XMASCLATTER for 25% off. Shady Rays, now the official sunglasses of Christmas. Welcome to Christmas Clatter, the podcast that celebrates everything that makes Christmas special. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Christmas Clatter Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Clatter Podcast. Email us at christmasclatterpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at christmasclatterpodcast.com. Hi, welcome again to Christmas Clatter. I'm Todd Killian. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us again this week. Had a lot of fun last week with our Merry Melee. A lot of good uh, reaction to that show. And for those wondering, there will be more Merry Melees to come. Uh, just getting all the people scheduled is a little bit tricky sometimes, and that scheduling becomes a, a little bit more tricky as we get closer to Christmas. This week we have a special Christmas conversation with Glenn Warren from Seasons Eatings Podcast, and we talk about food and Christmas and all kinds of things. And there was something that was inspired me um, for an upcoming episode of this year. And if you guys know, I've said in the past that one of the things that Christmas Clatter celebrates is those quiet moments of reflection. And I want to hear from you guys. What are some of your favorite quiet moments at Christmas time? If it's sitting on a couch, looking at a warm lit Christmas tree, or taking a walk and all you hear is the crunch of the snow, or maybe you're at a church surrounded by people, but everyone is silent in prayer. It could be anything. If you could just uh, make a recording uh, using your voice memo app on your smartphone, and let me know what your favorite quiet moment of reflection is, if it's just a kind of a general time or if there's a specific time that you really remember enjoying a quiet moment at Christmas. Record your thoughts and then uh, email them to me at our email address at christmasclatterpodcast at gmail.com. And I'll be using those in an upcoming episode 
much, much closer to Christmas. I look forward to hearing everybody's stories. Again, just uh, use your voice memo on your smartphone and email it to me at at christmasclatterpodcast at gmail.com. And now it's time for my Christmas conversation with Glenn Warren. Making his uh, Christmas Clatter debut is Glenn Warren from Seasons Eating Podcast. It's a podcast I featured a few weeks back on my uh, Do You Hear What I Hear uh, podcast edition. Uh, Glenn started just a handful of months ago, and as far as I know, he's the only Christmas podcast in the food space, and you will definitely learn a lot from his episodes. I really enjoy them. He takes a deep dive in the origins of the food and what it means, where they came from. And uh, you can really, really hear his passion for cooking, for baking, and for the holidays. Glenn, thanks so much for joining me here on Christmas Clatter. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Seasons Eatings, it's been, what, six months now you've been running? Yeah, I started in May of 2020. Yeah, so right at it, right at six six months. What was your inspiration for starting Seasons Eatings? Well, I mean, I've listened to a lot of Christmas podcasts, although it seems to have exploded this year for some reason. Uh, was it Brian Earl? Or, yeah, Brian Earl from Christmas Past. He had that list of like over 150 different yeah. Christmas podcasts. Yeah. That's just nuts. But uh, um, I was listening to Brian's Christmas Past uh, podcast for a couple years and Tim Babb's Can't Wait for Christmas for a couple years. I know he's been going on for what, five years now? Yeah, he's right that's, at five years. That's just hit. crazy. Yeah. And then also um, My Merry Christmas. I was listening to them as well because I've been a member for with them since 2017. So yeah. I've always loved Christmas and I'm a uh, certified baker. So I have the training for at least the dessert side. And I've been in the food industry since I was a teenager. I worked for uh, fast food places. Um, I worked for, uh, I don't know if you remember Bonanza. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> Bonanza had... was a, for anyone who doesn't remember, it was like a family sort of steakhouse that had all you could eat salad bar and you could go and get a, you know, a ribeye and a baked potato and eat your fill of, you know, mashed potato salad or whatever yeah. <laughs> for like seven ninety nine back <laughs> in the 80s. <laughs> That's not, that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> right. But yeah, so that was my culinary beginnings. And then I started working for like fine dining restaurants and then um, got my baking certificate back in 2011. And so listening to all these Christmas podcasts was great, but I never heard anything about food. I know Brian touched on a few episodes, the history of some foods, but it was always just, sort of sprinkling of, of information out there uh -huh. so i just wanted to combine the love of um, food and christmas and i thought why not i've got some time in my hands <laughs> yeah everybody had some spare time at the beginning of this year so i decided to dive in and start a podcast oh I'm so glad you did and it it is kind of odd that we went so long without a food specific christmas podcast because food is so important to the holiday, no matter which holiday it is, you know, foods, 
you know, important to Easter, the 4th of July here in the States, you know, of course, Thanksgiving and Christmas, even New Year's, even Halloween with the candy involved, you know, it's just, you know, how holidays and the food that goes with them are, you know, synonymous. You think of a holiday, you think of a certain dish or a certain uh, dessert that goes with that holiday. And, and, and it is, it just amazed me. It, it took a little bit, I guess, it's, I guess it was just waiting for you to come along and start <laughs> I mean, it up. It's true. Like if you talk about any Christmas gathering or Thanksgiving gathering, where uh-huh. do you start? You usually uh-huh. talk about the food. Yeah. You talk about going over to someone's house and having a big turkey yeah. dinner or yeah. having pumpkin pie or, you know, a fresh, a fresh cranberry sauce or whatever. Uh-huh. And everyone meets in the kitchen and, <laughs> and helps grandma make cookies. And I mean, you have your cookie exchange that you uh-huh. do every year. So right. it Christmas is a magical time of year and food is just part of that magic. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, you think about, I think about when I was a kid and we'd go to my grandma's house and there were certain things that she would, she would make, you know, she, that's the only time I ever, ever remember eating a, a ham at her house, but she had this like real sweet, like honey glaze on it. And it's like the only time of the year you ever got it, Yeah, you know? And so it's like, I can't wait to go over there. Cause I know we're having this, you know, this ham and we're going to have, you know, these kind of potatoes and she's got these cookies made and those those were the only times of the year she ever made those things. And, and so they had this special meaning to them and, you know, it was like a, a, an event. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's one of the things that uh, is the strongest in our memory is smell. Really? So if you, if you think about your memories and think about a time at Christmas, one of the strongest memories for me is the smell of baking. Yeah. baking bread or baking cookies and you go yeah. like you said you go to your grandma's house and you walk in the door and you can smell that cinnamon and cloves and uh-huh. you know fresh cookies out of the oven i mean what who doesn't want to relive that every year right, right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely you know unfortunately uh back in the mid 2000s um i had a job where the uh let's say the osha's OSHA standards weren't as high as they should have been. And my sense of smell kind of got burnt up. Oh, no. And uh, so my sense of smell is very weak. And uh, I usually tell people that I don't smell good. But <laughs> that, <laughs> that's never taken the right way. So, But uh, I do find I have found out over the years that even though I can't smell those things, I can tell if they're around or not. Um, right you know i really like holiday candles and and the the sense that they put out even though yep. i can't even though i can't smell them i can tell when they're lit just because i guess i don't know i guess the sense of smell still kind of reacts to it even though i'm not you know able to to you know smell the the fragrance itself it still does something you know well, in, in my mind uh, scientifically it changes the ozone a bit in the air yeah. but your your brain sort of clicks into that memory of yeah. how how it used to yeah. smell yeah. i picked up a few new christmas candles this week uh-huh. picked up a nice balsam fir which oh, reminds yes. me of like going out in the woods and cutting up a cutting down yes. a christmas tree with my dad and a mm-hmm. cinnamon swirl cake candle (laughs) which is you know reminds me of christmas morning getting up and having like cinnamon buns and you know lots of icing and all that stuff so 
Yeah, we have a real nice apple pumpkin we're burning right now. So nice. Yeah. So, but we have a few. That's you kind of in the same vein we are there with the candles. We kind of go with the the balsam firs and and the cinnamon smell ones. But uh, um, for those that haven't listened to Seasons Eatings, definitely go check it out. One great thing Glenn does is he does a lot of research on the history of the food, and you can tell he puts his time in and the homework in. Glenn, when you when you pick a, a topic on food and start diving into the history, you have to spend, you know, tens and twenties, thirty <laughs> hours of research. Is I you know, I know what it takes you know to put a podcast together and how much time you do prepped for you know for per minute for an episode and yeah, and you take some pretty deep dives into some stuff so. On average, if you pick a, a food, about how long do you spend researching it and and looking over the information before you actually have a, a script ready to go to the podcast with? Well, um, it's kind of hard to to sort of pin down because, uh-huh. like like you said, it's easy to go into different rabbit holes and just uh-huh. go nuts about something. But usually, for I'm like I started off my podcast, I was. A little trepidatious and I'm going, Oh, okay. I don't want to talk too much because people are going to get bored. So uh-huh. my first podcast was only like 12 minutes uh-huh. for figgy pudding. And then now it's slowly expanded to like 15 minutes, almost uh-huh. up to 20 minutes now. Uh-huh. So for every 20 minutes of audio, I've probably spent about six, eight hours researching. Yeah. yeah. It, it, de- it definitely shows. It definitely shows. And that's funny. My my very first episode was 14 minutes long, and now I'm pushing about an hour and a half every episode. So <laughs> I don't know if anyone would want to hear me talk for an hour and a half about one topic. I well, I don't know if I didn't realize. I don't still don't know if people want to listen to me go on that long, but <laughs> it, it seems to be working out okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but yeah. Has there been anything that's really surprised you in your research about? something that that you didn't know or something that just kind of came out of the left field that uh you know was a fact that uh just you had no clue or just shocking that uh it was related to that food or a lot of the medieval traditions that that happened we still use today uh-huh. um which totally surprised me. Medieval times was like fifth century to 15th century. Mm-hmm. And all the spices that we use at Christmas time, the cinnamon, the nutmeg, all started back then. All started mm-hmm. by um, seasoning pies and meats and all these things. And it's funny how those traditions still stick around. Um, one of the other things, uh, I just talked to an episode about sweet potatoes. Um, in my side dish episodes, which I was doing extra episodes for the Burr months of the year and how um, marshmallows were incorporated into the sweet potato casserole. It's basically just a marketing scheme like this. The company wanted to promote using marshmallows. Uh So they hired this chef and they created this booklet, all these different recipes using marshmallows, like putting them in your hot chocolate, putting them in fudge, all the sort of expected things. Right. But then this person said, oh, we'll just put them on top of some sweet potatoes. <laughs> Get them to try that, you know. And lo and behold, it clicked. Yeah. 
you know, some of the things that didn't click were like marshmallows with lime jello or something, which I know some people might like it. There's that, uh, was that the marshmallow ambrosia salad? Yeah. It's like fruit cocktail with marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that, but <laughs> that, that that reminds me, I need to get your marshmallow recipe from, from you for my wife. She asked for it personally. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to get that out there while I was thinking about it. But, uh, you know, that's, that's funny. I'm, I, I'm not a big fan of the marshmallows and sweet potatoes. I mean, it's not like I wouldn't eat it, but. I'm so used to the pecans and cinnamon kind of crust on the top of them. Yeah. That's I've, what we, I've had it a couple of times. I find it way too sweet for me. Yeah. Yeah. It but is. To yep. each his own, right? <clears throat> right. My mom makes sweet potatoes. And the only thing that keeps her sweet potatoes from being a sweet potato pie is it's not on a crust. So it's just, <laughs> it's just in a dish, you know, but uh, yeah. But I mean, like you said, uh, one thing about traditions is that you can search far back and just they keep coming back for a reason uh-huh. and they mean spe- something special to somebody. Yeah. And so those traditions from the medieval times obviously meant something set to, for people to remember them and keep repeating them every year. Yeah. So that's one thing about just um, searching of all these interesting foods and I've only scratched the surface. I mean, there are whole different cultures I haven't even talked about. Uh Like I was talking to um, Sean from the Christmas podcast podcast and he's part Scandinavian Mm -hmm. and I haven't even talked about Scandinavian food. There's a whole world out there that I could explore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of uh, crossover in in the Christian, uh, Christmas traditions, we just probably haven't. That's the one thing, you know, you said earlier, you know, I can't believe there's like 130, 150 Christmas podcasts, but you dive into the subject of Christmas as a whole. There's a lot, a lot of layers to peel back in these traditions. And, you know, Brian Earl with Christmas past did a great job of, of starting those look back, those look mm-hmm. looks back, but there's just so much to keep uncovering. And it's almost like you need all these different, voices and different looks at all the same information to get it all peeled back because you also have like Craig from weird Christmas who looks back into the past with a, you know, totally different kind of light and finds stuff that's like, you know, it's part of the history of Christmas, even though people kind of don't want to really accept it. It's like, it's part of the history of Christmas, (laughs) you know, and it's just such a fascinating subject that, this holiday or this time of year, uh, you know, being winter sol- solstice and, you know, Christians that, you know, took the, took the winter solstice and, and made it into a religious holiday, how they all converge upon the month of December and take all these special traditions and how they continue and, you know, to ring out in our lives and make it a special time of year for us mm-hmm. after, after millennial and how, you know, hopefully a hundred years from now, our, our families are doing the same thing. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, we had, we had a tradition of having big feasts during the solstice season uh-huh. and the winter season, because you didn't know if you're going to survive the winter. Right. 
So you had to fatten up everybody <laughs> to yeah. basically have enough calories and, and meat on your bones so you could survive yeah. the three or four months uh, with possibly little to no food. Mm-hmm. And so you had to slaughter your animals, except for the few that you're going to keep to calf for next mm-hmm. year. And you had to preserve all your fruits and vegetables. And so all these traditions get boiled down into, you know, having a big meal for the Christmas dinner and, you know, preserving fruits and meats with spices and sugar so they last longer. Mm -hmm. So it's funny how these traditions that started as basically lifesavers. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And now boiled down to just, you know, a big meal with like turkey and stuffing and gravy and sweet potatoes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How surviving the winter turned into uh, a gravy, uh, volcano on your mashed potatoes you know <laughs> exactly <laughs> makes me feel like we're really missing something here you know <laughs> so, you know it's like well you know, so next time people are eating it, that uh, big christmas dinner just uh count your blessings that you eat it you're eating it because you want to and not because you have to <laughs> yeah and thank your ancestors thank yeah. your ancestors for surviving <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe that maybe uh maybe that's uh why I'm such a big eater because my my ancestors knew how to eat well and stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> the feast and survive the, the winter. Season. Yes. <laughs> survive the winter. The big Costco pies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I mean, I've only started, like I said, to scratch the surface because my oh. background um, is I'm originally from Newfoundland. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of my background is Irish, English, um obviously canadian so i've started to explore those traditions but Mm -hmm. like i said i want to expand my knowledge and and start going to different cultures and every time i meet someone new it's always great to go oh what do you do for the christmas holidays Mm -hmm. you know oh we make this pie or we make this type of cookie or we do this on on christmas eve instead of Mm -hmm. christmas day a few weeks ago, I had Alonzo uh, Drowley on, mm-hmm. and his parents are from Spain. And I asked him, you know, if there's any traditions, that, you know, from Spain that his family still. And one of the first things he went to was like the treats, like the the candies. There was these little uh, mm-hmm. sugar coated pine nuts that they used to make, you know, or in these uh, this uh, it's like peanut brittle but made of from almonds kind of thing, and it's like. Yeah, that's the first thing. That's the first, you know, like the first thing he went to was the food. Not the pooping the, the log. Little candies they would make. At, <laughs> at Christmas. Nope. He, did, he, he didn't mention that at all, actually. Exactly. It's <laughs> probably third on his list. He just got it's to a, a couple great things. I'm sure that was number three on his list. Spanish. But, yeah. yeah. See, that's, that's another Christmas tradition that uh, you bring it up here in, in the States, or I'm sure even Canada. <laughs> And people are like, what are you talking about? You beat a log with a stick and it poops out presents. Doesn't everybody have that? <laughs> right. You're right. <laughs> oh, we just burn hours in the fireplace. And, uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to eventually do a podcast for Christmas that is all uh, not so family friendly. Well, unfortunately, you know, time, that's so. one of the things that I started <laughs> doing part of my research. Um like, again, I'll go back to the sweet potatoes because it's the most recent thing I talked about. Um, uh-huh. A lot of the traditions uh-huh. of having sweet potatoes in the, in the States, especially during the holidays, 
were from the slave trade. Unfortunately, it was, you know, a lot of people wow. who were brought from West Africa, they had the yam, which is the traditional food in, in there. Uh -huh. But a yam is more fibrous and sort of that sort of white flesh. And, it's, and they couldn't, they didn't get that here. So they, they use sweet potatoes to remind them back of home. It reminds them, you know, of a simpler time or, or a better time of their lives. And mm -hmm. it's, that's the one thing about food that brings us together to remind us of, of stuff that, that make us feel better, really. <laughs> I'm basically from the South and my whole life, sweet potatoes and yams yeah. was interchangeable. You know, as, as far as what they were, it just kind of depends. I think a lot of times they were sweet potatoes until you <laughs> cooked them, put the marshmallows on yeah. them or whatever. Then it was, yam then that was yams, you know, then you magically turned into yams and, you know, to find that out, you know, just being around the Christmas stuff for so long, it's like, it takes a little bit more seriousness to it, you know, and, and to realize that yam was its own thing and, you know, it, it had its origins, you know, like you said, in the slave trade. And things and, it's, and I think one of the you know, one of the good things about it's, getting together with people is that you you sometimes have to have difficult conversations and even with family at Christmas time yeah. you're also there's always that uncle you're going to have a argument with or you know grandma who says something a little inappropriate yeah. <laughs> you know so but you're right being part of the family you just you know deal with it and acknowledge it and realize it's part of yeah. growing as a person. Right. You just kind of roll your eyes and say, that's, <laughs> you know, yes. uncle, whoever, you know, or, you know, that's aunt, whatever her name is. It's just, you know, just kind of roll your eyes and say, that's just who they are. And they may be too old to figure it out or they might not be, but, you know, but it definitely is. What is, um, when you think back and think of Christmas when you were a child, what's the food that you think of right off right off the top of your head? What's the first thing that comes uh, to Well, mind? in Newfoundland, we have uh, we used to do the big sort of traditional Christmas dinner, which is the turkey and all that stuff. But the mm -hmm. thing that comes to mind is the stuffing or the the we call it dressing for the turkey, and it's usually it's. Uh -huh traditionally a, you know a bread stuffing and it's filled with you know chopped onions and spices and salt and pepper and all that fun stuff but we also throw in summer savory and so it can't be a christmas mm -hmm. um meal for me without newfie dressing <laughs> so you know it has uh, to be newfie dressing yeah. smothered with gravy and then the other thing is a steamed pudding uh, for dessert. We call it a figgy pudding or a figgy duff because um, figgy duff, duff uh -huh. is another old English word for raisins. So basically it's a, a pudding made from flour, raisins, a little bit of fat, all put in either a cheesecloth bag or a, or a mold and then steamed for hours over hot water. And then you uh -huh. pour like either a rum butter sauce or like a hard hard sauce, basically just butter and some other liquor. <laughs> <laughs> and then <clears throat> traditionally in the in the UK you would light it a fire, but Newfies you just you know pour the sauce over it and have it that way. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's the it's the newfie dressing and the figgy duff. Yeah, because I I've seen other recipes for like sausage stuffing or s- sausages and apples. Uh-huh, I've had or that with nuts in them. Yep, I never had any with nuts in it. A lot of ours is uh, like cornbread. Oh yes, based and uh, um, or it's uh, or it's a bread, and it just kind of depends on. Where I live in Missouri, I'm right at this line to where I get a lot of traditions from the north and a lot from the south. Okay. You know, I'm too far too far north to be truly in the south, but I'm too far south to be really truly in the north. <laughs> You're stuck in the you middle. You know, uh, kind of stuck in the middle, so I kind of get a little bit of everything, but generally, I would say generally, it's we lean more southern in our culture around here. But, you know, ours is kind of a cornbread uh, dressing or stuffing. And, you know, it just depends on. So so you make the cornbread first and then you add it with other ingredients as a stuffing? Yeah, yeah celery and onions yeah. and all. I don't know. You just kind of grab whatever and shake in there without measuring. I don't even know. Well, you know. Expand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't even know how my mom makes it without makes it taste the same every year without really even looking at it, you know, and, but, uh, that's the joy of cooking though. I mean, as a baker, they always, you know, when I'm making cookies or croissants or whatever, and people see Uh me do it and it's like, how do you do that so fast and make them all look the same? Like make 10,000 of them and you get really good at it. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Now this is a really way off topic. Have you seen that Netflix documentary on barbecue? No. Yeah. Yeah, there's a new documentary series, and it goes around the world talking about different forms of barbecuing. Okay. And the first one is in this place in, I want to say, Lexington, Texas. Okay. And there's this, I want to say she's like close to 80 years old. She's like the pit master. And they have all these these pits, and they don't have any thermometers on them, and she judges the heat by touching them. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's how she knows if it's ready and stuff and it and it's I've only seen a few of the episodes but man it is fascinating because like you said, you know, you do a thousand of them but you know these people have been doing it their whole life exactly. so they really have a feel feel for the food and how's it how it's going to react and and uh, how the you know the fire and the flame and the smoke and it's going to react and in fact a friend of mine, Ken Smith, started a, a new podcast called Faces to Places, and he's only a couple episodes in. And his second one is he stops at this barbecue joint in Tennessee and talks to the pitmaster there. Nice. And it's 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 really fascinating to hear his story and how he grew up watching his dad do whole hog, uh, you know, smoke whole hogs, yeah. and he, he grew up in it, and you know now he's he's the guy in charge and just getting that feel. And of course I'm one of those guys that I don't care what you do, if it's baking or cooking or if it's musical or if it's dance, if you're someone that's done it a lot and it's really good, I am just fascinated. Well, we all have know, a, a by, skill by the excellence of yeah. it. Yeah. We all have something that we love to do and we can do in our sleep. And for me, it's, it's baking. I mean, for some mm-hmm. people it's playing the guitar or, you know, or making a, a, a woodwork or whatever. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's it's something that we find 
almost innate and we just it's for me it's it's almost like an urge it's kind of it's weird because if i don't make something within the week like bake a bread or a pie or a cookie or Uh whatever it's like i i have this feeling deep inside me like i have to make something yeah (laughs) it's weird it's like this strange strange sort of urge that i have to make something or i don't know what's going to happen or i like completely break down like buy a store-bought pie no i'll never do that (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah so let me ask you this you said you started off as a a teenager working you know like bonanza and stuff before then was were you into baking you know as like a 9 10 12 year old or no well was it i wasn't was it your job that was it your job that kind of got you into it i wasn't into it um myself but i used to watch my grandmother um, uh-huh. both sides, my mom's grandma and my, or my mom's mother and my dad's mother. Um, they used to make bread all the time. My mom is the eldest uh-huh. of 12 kids. Okay. So my grandma used to make bread three times a week, eight or nine loaves oh, wow. every week. <laughs> so she'd yeah. have that huge yellow crock of a bowl that she'd throw in flour and yeast and, you know, water and a little bit of fat and salt. And then she'd just mix it and she just, everything was by feel. And she'd feel the Uh dough and and just press it between her fingers and go, oh, it's too wet. And she'd throw in some more Uh flour. And then, you know, she'd put the dough in the, uh, in the, in the, on the stove to warm, to uh, proof. And she'd like mm-hmm. press her finger in the dough. Oh, it's not ready yet. I'll give another 30 minutes. And like, like you said, nothing was ever measured. It was uh-huh. just by instinct. And that to me, when I was like, you know, six, seven, eight years old, fascinating. It's like, how do you know how to do that? <laughs> right. You know? Just like your barbecue uh, lady. Uh-huh. It's like, it's, it's almost like a second nature. You don't even need to think mm-hmm. about it. And right. so I always, grew up thinking it's almost magical how someone can make bread out of simple ingredients like flour and butter and, and, and salt and turn it into something amazing like a loaf of bread. Right. It sounds so simple, but it really isn't. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause you know, you, you grab that homemade bread and you grab a slice of it, put a little butter on it. It's like heaven on yeah. earth. <laughs> to eat, but then if you think about what's in there, there's, there's nothing exceptional that's in there, yeah. you know, but you know, my, my wife says my wife is pretty good at baking and cooking and she really is, she's really good at pie. Nice. And, she, and you know, it's, it's all about the crust for her, you know, on the pie and she's shown people how to make pie, the pie crust she makes. And she's like, I could show you how, but I can't really show you how because if you work it too much, it's wrong. But if you don't work it enough, it's wrong. Yeah. And it's just that feel of knowing when it you've worked it just the right amount to put it in the pan and to, to fill it and then to bake it from then. And and it's just one of those things that it's just trial and error and doing it time after time, you know, till you get it right, until you know what it what it's supposed to be. And, you know, if I tried it, I mean it a, a crust that's not worked enough <laughs> one that's worked right or over i have no idea i couldn't tell you, <laughs> you know? and uh, but i've always been the 
the consumer, but never really the the person preparing the food. You know, I, there's a few things that I do, but I uh, I'm just not as skilled or quite as interested. You know, my wife's one of those that can eat something, a cookie or something, mm-hmm. and tell you tell you with about ninety percent accuracy what ingredients are in there. Nice, you know, and uh, that's a skill I do not have. No, but so, we all have different different <laughs> gifts, right? right? Yeah, it, it may it amazes me, you know, so. So when did you really discover that you really wanted to start baking and, and doing and pursuing that? You know, you said you, with your grandmother, you was always kind of interested and that was kind of inspiring. But when, when did it really sink into you that you could think of to where you, like you said, you have to bake something within the week or make something within the week, or you just don't feel like it's been a complete week? Um, well, I think it started probably around my 30s or so. Um, uh-huh. I'm, I mean, for most of us, our 20s are kind of surviving. You yes. know, I moved out of the house when I was 18. So I, you know, got my own little apartment and, you know, had to have a job to, you know, pay rent and eat. And so there were many days that supper was like, fried rice and vegetables with an egg because uh-huh. <laughs> yep. I couldn't, I couldn't afford anything else. Yep. And yep. so, you know, once I became a little bit more stable, um, I started going, what do I really want to do? And I've all, it always came back to, I want to go into some sort of food industry. Uh-huh. And you know, when I was a teenager, yes, I, I made some cakes and stuff. I used to make birthday cakes and for friends and family and all that stuff. But I never really thought of it as a, you know, a viable career. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like something yeah. I like to do. You know, I didn't think yeah. this was back again, back in the 80s. And so, um, yeah, it didn't really click until the, yeah, in my 30s and I you know, got more comfortable with who I was and what I wanted to do with my life. So, and then I started the working at the fine dining restaurant and doing like sous chef work and all that stuff. And, you know, spending three hours peeling potatoes and figuring that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be more creative and that's not dissing uh, chef work because I know, (laughs) the food industry is super creative um Uh but i've always gravitated to more of the sweet side so i guess Mm -hmm. it all stemmed back to watching my grandmother make bread so you know back in 2010 applied for the job or applied for school and got my baking certificate and then started working Uh for a supermarket making bread Uh and you know cookies and stuff like that for for sale for people and uh-huh. that's most of my training and i've other stuff is just doing extra um experimentation at home and just you know making things i see in magazines or on the internet and just going oh that looks fun i'll just you know make a a pie or make a you know basser tort or make something <laughs> that you know i haven't tried before and that's one of the things with uh, the baking program I was in, because it ran from September to May, 
we had to make Christmas stuff because uh-huh. we everything that we made, the school sold up in the cafeteria commissary area to the staff and to the other students, which I thought, uh-huh. I mean, as an aside, I thought it was pretty harsh because we're basically a little slave labor. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> but hey, we still got to learn how to make it. But, you know, right. so we're making Christmas fruitcakes in September because they have to sit and and stew in their own juices for a couple months. And we're making gingerbread and we're making panettone and we're making, you know, German Stalin because we have to learn how to make this stuff because we have to have uh-huh. a job. Go right. in, and because the baking industry is so varied, you could work for a commercial baker or you could work for someone, you know, one other person who has a home business or a, a small business and be their assistant. So we had to learn how to make all these different Christmas foods and why and how they work with chemistry and all that stuff. And just that sort of clicked with me for the podcast. I'm like, okay, yeah. I know how to make these things. And I, I know how they work. Like I know the chemistry behind why, you know, egg whites can be beat with sugar and why old egg whites are better than fresh egg whites and all this stuff. And I was like, am I the only one who likes talking about this stuff? I'm like, obviously not because there are people who listen to my podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you've definitely, you definitely found a lane that the people are very interested in. Yeah. I'm going to tell people through through the uh, miracle of social media, Glenn and I have become friends over the past few months, and uh, he's posted some things that he's made, desserts and dishes that would make me crawl to Canada to try. <laughs> they look so good. <laughs> Especially he made that pumpkin soup here a few weeks back. Oh, the turkey pumpkin chili. Yeah, I mean, that's that what was, it was. That was delicious. Yeah, yeah it looked like it too. and. <laughs> And I about put tied my shoes and started walking. <laughs> That's a great, great thing about pumpkin. It can be used in like savory and sweet dishes. Is that sort of yeah. multi-use gourd that, yeah. uh, you know, you could just, most people don't think of it as a, a savory sort of mm-hmm. thing, but I mean, pumpkin was used with the Wampanoag people and, and when they first started um, coming over to discover America. And it's like, they made bread out of it because you could mash the pumpkin and have little to no flour, add uh-huh. a couple other ingredients and you have a basic bread. I'm like, oh, wow. Knew? <laughs> I didn't know that yeah, until I, I started know. researching it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we talked about not, not measuring stuff. My, I had a grandma, my dad's mom who made the best pumpkin pie that, everybody in the family claims they've ever eaten nice and we before she passed away we tried to get the recipe from her and she gave it to us but all it was was a list of ingredients <laughs> with no measure with no measurements well so we've tried <laughs> a thousand different <laughs> combinations and still have yet to hit upon it but i guess we will keep trying <laughs> you know but uh, it's probably the back of a yeah. Libby's can that she just wrote down one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to tell them that reminds me of a story and I'm going to tell my <laughs> wife a little bit. There's one Thanksgiving that my mom asked my wife, Holly to make a pecan pie. Okay. And Holly was all excited. She's like, I'll make pecan pie. I will call my mom. My mom has the best pecan pie recipe in the world. 
I'll make my mom's pecan pie recipe and everybody's going to be floored because it's so good. So her mom was living in California at the time. So she calls her mom and says, mom, I need your pecan pie recipe. And, and uh, my mother-in-law's like, okay, I, why? And she's like, cause I'm, I'm going to be making it for Thanksgiving here, here in Missouri. And uh, my mother-in-law goes, well, I've always just used the recipe on the back of the Caro syrup bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> so, so we all have our uh, she, cheats, so to speak. Yeah, she. <laughs> you know, my wife just knew that there was this secret recipe. You know that her mom had. You know, we still we still give her a hard way to go about that. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember this commercial, the Rice Krispie Squares one. Um, it was like a woman slaving in the kitchen. She was making the Rice Krispie Squares, and then at the uh-huh. end of the episode or any of the commercials she'd like throw some flour on her face oh yeah this yes, tray I remember of that. crispy squares yeah. to look like yeah, she spent hours that. and hours yeah yeah <laughs> yeah those things are great too they don't take hardly any any time to no make. and you can doctor them up some well. yeah yeah we were talking about pumpkin earlier and i have this weird relationship with pumpkin well, i shouldn't say that but i used to not like anything pumpkin at all okay and then and then like Four or five years ago, I like woke up one day, literally, I woke up one day craving pumpkin pie. It was like September. <laughs> it's like, I got to get a pumpkin pie. And and I don't know why, but it's like, I just woke up one day and decided uh, that I needed pumpkin stuff in my life, you know, this time of year. And I don't I don't know how it happened. I don't know how the, the, the switch was flipped, but... <laughs> That's that's what it, you know that you you know my wife was gracious enough to make me a pumpkin pie and then a few weeks later she made a pumpkin roll nice and so she knows this this time of year start stocking up on the old can of Libby's pumpkin and and uh, well they say they I'll, say that cravings are your body's way of telling you you're lacking a certain vitamin or mineral in your life so yeah. maybe you were just lacking pumpkin <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I was a white guy lacking my pumpkin spice. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> you know so. And, All your uh, vitamin A. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what it was. <laughs> but, uh, what what's what's your favorite thing to bake? Is there something that that uh, you could call like your signature dish that that you just you think or your uh, family tells you that you know you have a real knack for making this dish or this dessert more than any other? Um, banana bread. I know it sounds pretty easy, but I make a mean banana bread. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, actually another one is cornbread. We were talking about cornbread earlier. And Uh every time I made cornbread, I, I was told that it's like the best cornbread I've ever had. It's not too dry. It's not too moist. So, but banana bread is a fallback. Yeah. Those breads like banana bread and stuff, those stuff, those things could get tricky. Mm-hmm. And I've had people make them and they'd be real plain and real dry. And then I've had people make them and they'd be way too dense. Right. You know, with too much stuff. So they do get tricky. Now your cornbread, yeah, you can't make dry cornbread or it just, it just, it just I can't go for the dry. Yeah, it just falls apart. It, is, is your sweet or, or not? It is a little bit sweet. I like throwing okay. in just a touch of sugar, but I also throw in some jalapenos. Oh, so there to give a little go. bit of spice to your corn. Th- 
Ever think about throwing sharp cheddar and bacon in there too? <laughs> Everything's better with bacon. Come on. <laughs> we like to throw the jalapenos and the sharp cheddar and the bacon in ours too. Nice. Yeah. But we don't make it sweet at all. So if it's sweet, it's corn muffins. Okay. Around here. So, but the cornbread is not sweet at all. In fact, it's kind of hard to eat without like butter or anything right. on it. It's just kind of plain. You know, it's funny because this reminded me like we had to make donuts for for school, um, both uh-huh. kinds, like the cake donuts and the yeast donuts. And uh-huh. so um, I asked my professor to get me some bacon because I was making maple bacon donuts. Oh, yeah. And he's like, you're putting bacon on donuts? He's never heard of that before. I'm like, yeah, of uh-huh. course I am. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to go up to the culinary school uh, classes uh-huh. and get some bacon because they don't carry bacon in the bakery department. Yeah. And so, yeah, he had, we had maple bacon donuts and it was so oh, good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. When we have the uh, the fair around here, the district fair, there's a, a funnel cake stand that does the maple bacon funnel cakes. Oh, yes. And it's it's probably the similar you know, flavor and, mm-hmm. and, and that, but it's, I always say it tastes like breakfast. <laughs> you know, so. We talked about your love of food and, and your history there. And uh, Seasons Eating is a Christmas and a food podcast. So mm-hmm. have you always been, a, has Christmas always been a favorite holiday of you growing up or is it kind of just recently the past, most recent part of your life? No. Uh, become your favorite? No, it's always been a big yeah. holiday. Um it's funny because my dad or my technically my stepdad, because my mom got remarried uh-huh. when I was six and we can go into a long story uh-huh. with that. But anyway, he called my dad. <laughs> my dad hey, used to. Uh, I, I, I currently uh, am the dad in a blended family, so I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> by that. <laughs> so. He used to work for Woolworths and uh, because he was the manager for Woolworths, he got transferred a lot. Mm-hmm. So we used to get moved to a different town every two or three years. Oh, wow. So I was almost like an army brat because, you yeah. know, every two or three years we'd pick up sticks and go manage another store. And so um, I always, to me, it was always Christmas that kind of made everything less hectic and ironically because it's usually more stressful for people. But the yeah. Christmas was a time that I knew everything was kind of settling down and we'd be like kind of normal after moving yeah. and getting ready for school and all that stuff. All right. And so it's, it's always been a special time for me and I've always enjoyed sort of the quieter moments of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, one of my things when I was, I used to live in Alberta and I used to sing in a choir back there and we'd have a Christmas Eve service at 11 o'clock. And we get out from the service just past midnight. And mm-hmm. Christmas Eve, midnight, with a slight dusting of snow was like heaven to me. Oh, yeah. You know, everything is super quiet. You're just sort of off that sort of high of going through the Christmas Eve sort of service. And you're just relishing the silence and just that that moment of pure silence that you can just enjoy for a split second yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, i know exactly what you're talking about that you know as i, as I get older that i'm starting to 
realize that those are my favorite times too. Yeah. One of one of my favorite times of Christmas is believe it or not, when it's kind of over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll do we'll have Christmas and we'll do the things we do. And then it's like the kids go to bed a little earlier because they're wore out. Yeah. You know, so I find myself well there's a Christmas Eve when Santa's already been to the house. Yeah. There's a little bit of time to sit in the quiet with just the tree on and kind of enjoy the, the tree and the scenery there. And then late Christmas, about the same time, Christmas day when the tree's empty and looks sad, you know, once, <laughs> you know, you put, you put up the tree and it looks fine without presents under it. But once there's presents under it and they're gone, it looks completely bizarre. Yeah. You know, that the, the tree's on, and you can sit there in the quiet and you just think about the day and think about everything that was done and said and the time spent. And it's like 20, 30 minutes of just pure quiet bliss, yeah. you know, of, of uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things I've always talked, you know, promoted the show saying that, you know, we celebrate everything that makes Christmas special, even those, you know, quiet moments of reflection. And I'm trying to, find a way to celebrate that on the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, because it does mean a lot for people to take those quiet moments and either soak it all in or just kind of reflect on the year or the day. And it's like hitting a eternal reset button. Yeah. If we're like a better word. And it, it just, there's just something and those, those kind of things are hard to, for one, a lot of people aren't comfortable about speaking about those kind of things because it's so personal and internal, but it, it's really a hard thing to put into words. You just kind of have to put it out there and hopefully people understand what you're saying. But I agree the, the quieter moments of Christmas are really underrated. I'll, I'll even have a nice quiet moment. I like to go to a mall mm-hmm. when it's, when it, of course, it's pre-COVID when it's all <laughs> decorated. You know, it's all decorated up, you know, and everybody's shopping and just sit there and watch, you know, yeah. not, and just kind of people watch, but just kind of see, you know, the busyness of Christmas go by and, and enjoy that. And it just does something to me just to take that time to observe Christmas and to pay attention to it. And I get, I get what you're saying. Something similar. I used to work for uh, um, a low or national donut chain. I would probably not name <laughs> anyway. So I, I'd start my shift at four 30 in the morning. And so mm-hmm. this, the particular chain was in a hospital. So we were open every day. And so Christmas day, I'd have to work at four 30 in the morning. And so, yes, I'd get home from the Christmas Eve services after midnight, get my three uh-huh. hours of sleep <laughs> and yep. get up. And then I'd walk to work. And it was always the most amazing, you know, 15 minute walk because I'd walk uh-huh. in the silence, just hear the crunch of the snow under my feet, look at the houses with their Christmas lights on and the street lights with a little bit of snow falling. And it's uh-huh. like, I could just, if I could just bottle that moment, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's just relive that over and over and over. Yeah. Uh, just, for me, it was just a special, just a s- small special moment that I just cherish all the time. 
And so every once in a while yeah. during the holidays, I kind of, if I have time, I would go and just go for a walk and just, you know, mm -hmm. look at the houses, look at the lights. If their Christmas tree is up, I'd see their tree in the inside or whatever. And uh, just, you know, take a moment. <laughs> that, that's actually really good advice too. You know, something you enjoy, but it's, it's good advice for people around the holidays. Just make sure you take a moment for yourself and enjoy the quiet and soak mm -hmm. it all in. Because a lot of people, you know, get so busy and, and, and flustered. And I start that social media series, Christmas with the Purpose, and been doing some research on that, some of the points. And that's one of the things that keeps coming up is, you know, people get so wrapped up in the things to do that, you know, they forget to take that moment and actually enjoy what's going on in being in the moment. You know, if, if you're always looking ahead to the next thing, you know, you miss out on the moment that's, that's there. You're not, you're not being present, but it sounds like I kind of go out on a limb, but it sounds like you were, you're probably similar to me. He's kind of born an old soul, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, maybe. I don't know. So, I mean, I'd, or yeah. reborn. Yeah. You know, <laughs> reborn like, old uh, soul. You know, I, of course I was kid and did kid things, but always felt like is, you know, always felt like is like, uh, enjoyed hanging out with the older, older people. In fact, my, my oldest son was born a, a really old soul when he was like eight, he would always want to hang out with the uh, elderly church ladies when they had uh, fish fries and stuff, you know, that's where he wanted to hang out at. Yeah. So it's like, it's kind of similar yeah. to me. I was like, everyone talked about, Oh, it must've been great growing up. I'm like, no, didn't yeah. really like it. I'm sorry. I hated being yeah. a kid. I wanted to be an adult. Yeah. And I, I, I still, I still stay with that sentiment because for me, a childhood i mean there are great times oh, yeah. i had when i was a kid i i had friends and i had you know like i said christmas memories and all right. that stuff and i won't give them away for a lot right. of money so but i've always thought that i've always been older than i yeah. should be yeah yeah <laughs> it's kind of yeah. weird but hey <laughs> yeah sometimes i used to think sometimes i was just born about i don't know 25 or 30 years too late <laughs> you know it's mm. like man i should have been born like and lived through the 50s or something i think i would have felt more at home <laughs> you know but then part of me is glad i wasn't because you know growing up when i yeah no internet sure sure wouldn't be doing this now you know so yeah exactly you'd have a yeah, radio but, program uh, yeah <laughs> we was all born when we supposed to be so yeah and we're always you know we have a a I guess a, a job or a message to portray or to send yeah. out for someone. Yeah, that's a fact, man. That's absolutely a fact. And that, well, I started Christmas Clatter, and that's why I, my tagline at the end of the episode is always, you know, keep Christmas hope alive every day. It's like we're all here just to give somebody a little hope, you know, or a little comfort mm -hmm. or a little peace or something, but to, to, to give those, those good kind of things to one another no matter where they're at because you just never know the power of a kind word or a – a kind act in someone's life because you just don't know what people are dealing with. And, uh, as long as we can keep up those, those kind, that, that kindness towards one another, you know, it's, it sounds corny, but it will change people. You know, I'm, I'm not, it's, it's like, I'm not here to change the world. I'm just here to yeah. change 
the people's lives around me. I, I just want people around me to to feel a, a sense of belonging and a, a sense of love and acceptance, you know. And it's like right. if I could, you know, if the people I interact with feel that way, then if they spread it to the people they know, eventually, you know, it would it spread around. But you know, it's just kind of just kind of here to make sure that you know people are loved and accepted no matter where they're at or where they're from because you know i know i need it (laughs) you know if i need it then other people need it too so and i think that's one of the good thing or one of the things that i can do with Mm -hmm. food i mean to me um making things for someone Mm -hmm. is my way of showing that i care about them so making a you know a plate of cookies mm-hmm. or a, a loaf of banana bread or a Christmas dinner right. is to show someone that you're right. special. You, I, I care about you, and so, and it's like that's the the cool thing about traditions around mm-hmm. food is that you know it's not it's yes it's one thing you have to eat right. to live, but we could all live on gruel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, showing someone that you you think they're special or they're loved or you care about them is one of the, I don't know, basic needs right. of being a human. <laughs> right. And the great thing about like giving food or, or Christmas cards or things, it's so much better than a, a text message or instant message because there's such a, a need to, you know, to feel like you need to reciprocate or to answer. But, you know, if you give a dish, if you go and you give a loaf of banana bread to somebody, you're giving them that to make them feel better not to get something back or, or if you send a Christmas card, it's a way to say, Hey, I'm thinking about you. I care about you, but you don't, I don't even need to know that you've gotten it. I just trust that you do. Yeah. You know, and I, I've, I've heard that you are a big fan of Christmas cards and getting them in yes. and uh, that you had, you've entered yourself in how many Christmas cards exchanges this year? I think three oh wow <laughs> and because each one has a maximum number of cards that uh-huh. you're allowed to send out right um there's one that i have that i think the maximum is 50 uh-huh so i can only send out 50 cards to that list and so i join multiple groups so i can send out more than that right so and one thing that i do every year is that i send a random card so I pick an address anywhere in the world and send them a Christmas card. Oh, wow. I don't know who they are. I don't even know if they celebrate Christmas. Yeah. So I just find last year I sent a card to Iceland. Oh, wow. I just picked a random address. And that's the one good thing about the internet is that you can sort of um, Google Earth kind of pick a street that looks like a, you know, a house, a housing development or something nuts, not a business or Uh a school or whatever. And okay, where would I, you know, find the address for this building? And usually you can find a postcode or Uh a zip code and just send a anonymous Christmas card. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's cool. That's a great idea. I'm I'm going to have to try that this year. That'd be awesome. There you go. That'd be awesome. And I, I just write in the Christmas cards, you know, saying, you know, have a, a, a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year. And, you know, I don't expect to have someone send it, send me one back. And if you can pay, pay it forward and right. send a Christmas card to someone else that you, you know, surprise yeah. someone. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was real big into Funko Pop collecting and, and trading and things for a few years. 
and mm-hmm. uh, through a few of the communities on Facebook, I, you know, became Facebook friends with a guy from Portugal that collected it and where he was from, it was a little harder for him to get certain releases and, and things like that. But I don't know what he did for a living, but he would travel to the States quite a bit. And then when he would be in the, in the States, you know, if, if there was a release that he couldn't get and I could, I'd, you know, I'd pick it up for him and, and then right. I'd, I'd mail it to the hotel he was staying at, <laughs> you know, and then he would, you know, take it back with him. Of course, he, he'd always reimburse me for it plus a little bit of extra, yeah. you know, kind of thing. And, uh, it was getting close to Christmas and, uh, there was a couple he had and I mailed it to him and I just stuck a Christmas card in there, you know, cause it's close to Christmas and, and he messaged me and he's like, that is the first Christmas card I have ever received. And I was like, seriously, I was like, they have Christmas in Portugal, <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. but, but apparently uh, I don't know, but uh, I guess Christmas cards never took off there or something. I, I never really got into it with him. I was just kind of flabbergasted that, that he said that was the first Christmas card he had, he had ever received from anybody. And, hmm. and I was like, man, that's cool. Yeah. It kind of blew me away. It was just a real simple card. It wasn't nothing, you know, extravagant or anything. But I love that thought of just picking a random address and sending a card. I bet that, that's wild. Not that you, yeah. ever, not that you ever know whatever happens, but, <laughs> but you never know. Like twenty years later, you go, "Oh, I know who you are." Yeah, send me a Christmas card. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's always sort of a special moment just to get a physical card right. in the mail right. for me, anyway. I mean, that's why I do it. I mean, yeah. I like getting hundreds of Christmas cards. I remember a couple of years ago there was a a young kid in the Orkney Islands or some islands north of in the UK that he was like the last kid in the school because they were all relocating Uh because it was too expensive to do all this stuff and send out supplies to this small little island and so for the last Christmas there he he got a request or asked for Christmas cards and I guess it got picked up on a Reddit thread Uh so like thousands and thousands of cards were sent to this kid. (laughs) I pity the poor postmaster who had to carry everything. (laughs) Buckets and buckets of cards and stuff like that. Uh, That's cool, man. I mean, it's always special to get a card, regardless of what season it is. But just for for me, it's always fun to have, you know, a whole wall full of cards from all over the world. Yeah. That is cool. You know, something about a card because it takes time to, to get one, to fill it out, to, you know, put the address on there, the stamp and get it off. You know, it, it takes a little bit of effort for the person that sends it. So that way, you know, when you received it, it, it was more than just a, you know, someone sends you a text. It could just be a fleeting moment, mm-hmm. you know, but a card is actually, a, a, you know, a deliberate act of, of reaching out to, to wish someone a Merry Christmas or extend condolences or, or just to thank you. you it's just takes a little bit deeper of a meaning because of, yeah. of the, the little bit of effort it takes. Ha, have you received any like really great, like unusual cards or, or anything, you know, with like some 
because I know that how they got those cards that like have those paper pop-ups that are like real intricate and stuff like that. And, I know those are fancy. Those yeah. Are really fancy. Uh, um, I mean, most, I guess the most sort of elaborate ones are those, um, the ones that have like the music chip in them. Oh yeah. Those you are always open fun. Them up. Yeah. And, yeah. but nothing like, you yeah. know, super fancy, like those pop-up presents yeah. or pop-up Santa sleigh or something. Right. Those, <laughs> those are crazy. Did you ever get any cards you couldn't read because they weren't in English? Uh, no, but I've gotten a few that I couldn't read because I couldn't read their handwriting. <laughs> oh, I mean, my grandma is. Uh, oh yeah. What is she? Eighty six now. Uh-huh. So and her handwriting's a little shaky. Yeah. But you know, gotta love her. <laughs> yeah, I I understand that. That's. Uh... <laughs> so, do you have a Christmas food that sort of sends you back into? nostalgia uh, for me and this is gonna be real it's always the cookies uh <laughs> well because you have the big cookie swap well yeah it's that and it was always i remember as a kid anytime my mom my mom had this big tupperware thing that she put her flour in mm-hmm. and anytime she got it out to do any kind of baking or anything i like climbed on the cabinet and would sit there and like pick at the dough and pick at it, <laughs> you know, and pick at it when it comes out of the oven and all that good stuff, yeah. you know? And, and, uh, and so it was always, you know, when the, the, you know, the Christmas cookies, you know, she'd do the chocolate chip and the sugar and the snickerdoodles and all that stuff. And, and so it's just being in the kitchen gathered around the oven and, and having all the Christmas cookies there. And then that's, you know, that's, that turned into our cookie day and, and fiasco that it, that it is now. And it's just, it just, <laughs> it just always goes, goes back to the, you know, to Christmas cookies basically. And, and do you have a favorite cookie? I, it waffles, but my waffles I, aren't cookies. No, uh, <laughs> I, my, my classic all time favorite is I'm a big snickerdoodle fan. Okay. I like those. They're just simple, classic. She makes these Heath bar cookies that I like quite a bit too. And uh, they're kind of like a butter toffee cookie kind of thing. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what a Heath bar was. Yeah. Sorry. A, Heath, <laughs> yeah a, Heath, a Heath bar, it's like a butter toffee candy bar. Gotcha. And uh, and I like those quite a bit. One of so our like caramel in the cookie? It's basically the, the yeah, it's, it's like the 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 candy bars crushed and put into the cookie oh okay cool yeah like that and then there's uh my grandpa's favorite cookie was called the orange slice cookie mm-hmm. and uh, he he grew up uh through the depression so this is like a depression era no bake recipe gotcha. and it uses the orange slice candy and certain nuts and like uh evaporated milk and stuff and it's no bake and you roll it and then yep. cover it with powdered sugar, and then you sli- slice it after it's been refrigerated. It's an icebox cookie. Yeah, yeah, and uh, those are always popular. We have one called a ranger cookie. I'm not really sure. It's got a pecan on it, and it's kind of, <laughs> kind of got a little bit. To me, it's kind of got like a little bit of a oatmeal rice kind of texture to it. But I'm not really okay. sure what it what it is. I like it but I couldn't tell you anything about kind of sounds like a hermit. It could be. I've had hermit cookies too. They're kind of oatmeal rice combo chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) 
And then we have this one called a surprise cookie, and it's basically a sugar cookie, but you buy a little miniature candy like a Snickers or a Reese's peanut butter cup or a Rolo or something. Mm-hmm. And you and you make the dough. And it's just basically like a, a sugar cookie dough, maybe not quite as sweet. And then you take that candy and you make a you put it in the center of a ball mm-hmm. and then you bake it. Well, the candy melts. So all the cookies look exactly the same. And it's called surprise because you don't know which kind of candy you're going to get in the middle of that, of that right. cookie. So nice. And uh, people like those. Um, I'm trying to think. We've got a few new ones this year. We're doing an eggnog cookie this year and a, a, a cappuccino mocha cookie. Okay. And I, I'd have to get the list. Uh, there's a cranberry drop, it's some kind of iced cranberry cookie. How far in advance do you do it? Well, all the cookie dough is, except for a few, is made in fro in the freezer right now. Oh, okay. And uh, in the the week after Thanksgiving is when they all get baked. Gotcha. And then uh, two Fridays, not the you know not Black Friday, but two weeks from Black Friday is when we have the cookie day. Right. And. Uh, and then that gives her a chance to get them all baked. And we just do the, we put the stuff in Tupperware with the slice of white bread and keep them all uh, from drying out. And that, that trick works wonders, you know, for keeping, if they last that long, they usually do. Cause it's usually, <laughs> usually about 5,000 individual cookies. We end up, there with, we go. So. See? <laughs> but, uh, we have a, um, a rehab center, uh, okay. for, for guys that are trying to, uh, clean up their lives and go sober from, you know, drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah. And usually when, uh, you know, they have to live there and, and things. So usually when we're kind of done with the cookies, we, we, we package them all up and take them there. And, and there's about 150 guys there at a time. And they, nice. From what we hear, those cookies don't last very long <laughs> once they get a hold of them, but it, it kind of gives them a little bit of, of taste of home as they're trying to, trying to do right, you know, trying to make, some some better choices in their life so mm-hmm. that always uh it's always nice to do for those guys so so we don't throw any out they all they all get eight so that's good yeah yeah without the lists in front of me i kind of i mean we do chocolate chip which is classic and this year last year the people voted for the hall of fame which is their favorite cookies and nobody knows which cookies made it except my mom and she's keeping it secret until <laughs> cookie day this year. So no briberies. No. So <laughs> I, I always go back to go back to the, uh, the cookies cause it's just been, been part of the, our tradition. We've never really had big Christmas day meals, you know, so to speak, we, cause we've, we're always so busy running to different families, houses, Right. And uh, so, you know, the big sit down meals really weren't the uh, the focus. It was more of the family times together and, and like the quick finger food kind of things. Oh, that's another thing for us. It was always like, like we talked about earlier. It's like certain foods came out at Christmas time that never came out at any other time uh, of the year. Like we'd always have the bowl of mixed nuts that yep. you had to crack open every yep. year. Uh-huh. That, <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Uh, Terry's chocolate orange uh-huh. always came out. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, but my mom used to make for 
appetizers on Christmas Eve. I don't know why, but she, it was always been a tradition. It was a Vienna sausage, uh-huh. those tiny little cocktail sausages, uh-huh. cut them into threes and then put them on a toothpick with a piece of cheese and a sweet pickle. Huh. <laughs> so that for me, every <laughs> Christmas is like Vienna sausages with cheese and pickles on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you could do it any time of the year, but any time of the year. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But it doesn't, you don't do it cause it's not Christmas. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's fun. We do this. Uh, my mom makes this thing where she takes those little, uh, we call them little smokies, but they're the little sausages that are only so long, a couple inches long. And she'll wrap a little bacon around them with a toothpick mm-hmm. and put them in a pan, cover the whole pan of brown sugar, and then bake it. Nice. And uh, something you could do anytime you want it, but it's only around Christmas. And, and you know, everybody walks in there and grabs a toothpick and, you know, eats one and, you know, just picking. We call it. Around here, we call it pick and eat. You, know, you, just, <laughs> you just pick and eat. And my uh, aunt makes this jalapeno cheese ball, brings it with crackers. And it's like, yeah, she can make it any time of the year, but it's only at Christmas. She's going to make the jalapeno. Only at Christmas. She's going to make the jalapeno cheese ball to, to you know, eat on. And and that's why, that's what I like about doing the podcast is that I find all these different foods that technically you can make any time of the year uh-huh. now because we have a supermarket that you can buy oranges in the middle of winter or you can buy strawberries in january but there there was a time where you couldn't you Uh couldn't you you ate seasonally you had you know you candied your your fruits in the summer because the fruits were ready and ripe right if you didn't do something with them they would go bad and they would rot (laughs) yeah so you had to do something to preserve the fruit and uh you know you'd eat it at christmas time yeah or you have oranges at Christmas because the ships from the Caribbean would stop you know, to refuel at different ports along the coast. And so the oranges would be available at that time of year because that's when they came ripe in the Caribbean. Uh-huh. So you'd have oranges at Christmas and that's why you get like uh, all those Dickens and Christmas UK Christmas uh, stories where you get an orange at the bottom of your stocking because all the trade from the, the, the tropical islands brought back that fruit because uh-huh. they came back for the holidays. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I had heard a story. I think I heard it on Mike Rose podcast. Uh, the way I heard it, it was, it was about James Earl Jones. It talked about how his teacher kind of forced him to, he was real shy and didn't want to talk, you know, in school, but he, he could really memorize poetry really well and he could really write poetry really well. Mm-hmm. And kind of the way it was discovered was he wrote a poem called Ode to the Grapefruit for class, <laughs> for class project. Okay. And it was really good. And uh, the teacher made him get up and, and recite it and, you know, found out he had this big booming voice and, and all this stuff when he was a kid, you know, and, and you know, everybody knows who James Earl Jones is, but the reason he was so excited about that grapefruit is he lived in Michigan and it was getting is around the holidays and there was a little bit of scurvy breaking out. So the state had bought like a whole bunch of grapefruits, grapefruits from Florida to right. bring out. And he had gotten a grapefruit for Christmas, I believe if I remember it right. And it was like, you know, at the time, the most magical thing he's ever, 
ate because you know he just he didn't get fruit like that very often and and no. and uh and so he was just so enamored by the grapefruit he he wrote a poem about it and then that poem led to his love of uh poetry and reciting poetry which led into Shakespeare and to the stage and to Darth Vader I guess so <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah, guess we, see? I, I guess we have christmas time fruit to think think for uh for Lord Vader you know but uh Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm showing my age, but I mean, there were times when I don't remember having kiwi at the supermarket. I don't remember seeing that when I was a kid. Uh-huh. Um, there are like different fruits and vegetables that are available now that I've never experienced before. Yeah. So, you know, what was it like with our ancestors seeing yeah. this, for example, having a pumpkin brought back to England going, what the heck is this thing? I've right. never seen that before. <laughs> right. Or, you know, or turkey or, or, you know, something like that. Exactly. You're right. Those things are so seasonal and without ways of, you know, growing them year round and all this hybrid stuff and preservative stuff that they do now. It's like you had to enjoy the foods when they were in season and then you just had to wait for them next year. That's the great thing. We, you know, we talked about holidays and, and, and stuff, the things that make them so special. Well, one of the things that make them so special is those things that you have to wait for a whole mm-hmm. a whole year to get. You know, he's talking about the little Vienna sausages, cheese, and pickles. It's like, yeah, you could do it any time, but you save it because it's special, and it, exactly it makes the it makes the Christmas you know makes Christmas even more special. You know, because if you drunk if you drunk eggnog year round, it would lose its luster. Ate the chocolate orange, had the chocolate orange anytime you wanted, it wouldn't it wouldn't feel like Christmas anymore. You know, so. And that's what people think about, like, they call it the Christmas creep, about having the holidays being brought out in August or September. Mm-hmm. And people start to complain. And I think one of the reasons they complain about it is because if it's there all the time, it's not special anymore. Right. And they want to have that memory. They want to have that feeling of being surprised or or reliving that childhood memory of of getting something special at Christmas time and having it available, you know, half of the year doesn't make it special anymore. Right. There's the other side of me. It's like, great. I get eggnog in September. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And see, I find myself, I'm more lenient with Halloween than I used to be. I used to be kind of a Halloween Scrooge, but I find myself, <laughs> I find myself now because Halloween kind of starts after Labor Day it's mm-hmm. like I'm ready for Halloween to be over. I've had enough Halloween, you know. Where's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, you know, we still have this is what the 14th of October today, and so you know, I still have half a month to go, yeah, before we actually get to it. And I, I guess I can see I can see how they feel, but you know, part of me is just I'm ready to to put up the tree and and enjoy it. I've already bought like my Halloween candy three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't buy any till like right at time or or to be gone <laughs> you know it's like it's like we buy the good stuff and it disappears so we are not then we buy the stuff we that nobody wants you know yeah so, but, uh, are you a candy corn guy uh i've i don't i've only had it like once or twice uh, and i'm sorry i just it's like just eating a sugar cube yeah <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a big fan a, I guess it's a bigger thing in the States than it yeah. is here. Cause I don't think it's, you can buy it at like a bulk food place, right. but I don't, I don't see it anywhere else. The, the only way I can eat 
a decent amount is if when it's mixed with peanuts. Oh, because then you get the salt. To yeah, you get the counter. Yeah, it, it's it, that's really enjoyable because you, yeah, you get the salt with it and it, you get that salt and sweet and it really yeah really melts it down quite a bit. So I didn't realize that candy corn and stuff wasn't that big in Canada. I just figured it was everywhere. It's all over those little candy pumpkins that are basically this candy corn, but a little bit bigger size. Yeah. I've had a couple of those too. And I, I yeah. again, it's too sweet for me. Yeah. And it's ironic because I like, I make sweet things and I just, yeah. I don't eat a lot of them. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. I like sweet things myself, but I don't like, I don't like them sick sweet. You know, yeah. it's like when, I, it's like when I have a good cake, the cake itself isn't really sweet. It's the icing that has the sweet. Yes. Is when I like it. You know, I've had people that make their cake sweet and then the icing sweet. And I'm like, come on, man. It's yeah. too much. It's like, just make it taste good. And, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, make the icing a little sweeter, you know, just use some fruit to sweeten it up. But you don't have to pour the sugar upon sugar. That's one reason I'm not a big fan. We have a few cookies that use candy bars in them, but it's real, mm -hmm. it's real, um, small i'm not a big fan of those people that like make cakes and then like throw oreos and candy bars all over the top of them and stuff like that yeah i just i'm just not a fan it's just too much sweet and i don't know it's like it's like killing a mosquito with a sledgehammer right right it's like <laughs> it's like come on let's, let's let's try something besides just sugar yeah well glenn i'm gonna ask you I normally ask a desert deserted island on movies, but I'm going to ask you a desert or deserted island on food. Oh my. All right. <laughs> and you're on this desert deserted island and you can only take one Christmas dish with you. Either a main dish. I'll give you this. You can take one main dish, one side dish and one dessert with you for your Christmas uh, meal on this desert deserted island. So, Okay. What are you taking with you? Oh goodness. Um I'd have to take turkey. I'm sorry. It's just it's it's the standard for the Christmas meal. Um and plus it can be made into so many different things. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um but of course if I'm on the desert island I only have three things anyway. Yeah. So, but saying that because I'm taking turkey, I'm going to have to take the stuffing. Uh-huh. Because then you can make like little stuffing muffins with turkey inside or like a like smash the stuffing and make a sandwich of turkey. Uh -huh. <laughs> so there are ways. There are uh, ways to work it out. Yep. Um, dessert, that's the hardest one because there's so many different Christmas desserts. Um, I'm I, well, I'm thinking I'll do the Italian panettone because oh, yeah. it's almost a bread. Right. Again, of, of course, I'm having carbs on carbs, but I don't right. care. <laughs> uh, at least Panettone has a little bit of fruit in there because right. I'll pick out the fruit for my scurvy. <laughs> and uh, then now uh, enjoy carbs for all the energy of, you know, surviving on a desert island. Yeah. <laughs> you, you do pretty good. You do pretty good with that. <laughs> so turkey, the stuffing, and the Panettone. Now, uh, listeners, on I'll have a Facebook post uh, and Twitter, Instagram as well. And uh, let me and Glenn, Glenn know what would be your main dish, your side dish, and your dessert for Christmas if you were stuck on a desert or deserted island. So, uh, Glenn, tell everybody where they can find you and find Seasons Eatings at. 
Uh, well, I have a, a webpage, seasonsatingspodcast.com, where you can listen to all past episodes. Uh, you can download Seasons Eatings on any of your podcast player apps that you can find. I also have an Instagram at Seasons Eatings Pod and a Twitter account at Seasons Eat Pod because Twitter only allows you like 12 characters or something yeah. crazy. And you can find me again on Facebook as just search Seasons Eatings Podcast. And if you want to get a hold of me, just send me an email at Seasons Eatings Podcast at gmail.com. All right. And all those links will be in the show notes and on the website christmasclatterpodcast.com so you guys can just click click and and be there where glenn is and i encourage each and every one of you to go subscribe to seasons eatings and leave him a rating and review you will not be disappointed he glenn puts on a fabulous podcast and and if you let me know that you've left a review i'll send you a seasons eating sticker yes (laughs) there you go guys free (laughs) sticker you can't pass that up but uh, glenn thanks again for joining us here on christmas clatter Thank you very much. It was great. Thank you for listening to Christmas Clatter. Please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at Christmas Clatter Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Clatter Podcast. Send us an email at christmasclatterpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at christmasclatterpodcast.com. And as always, remember to keep Christmas hope alive every day. Thank you for listening to the Christmas Podcast Network. Christmas Clatter is proud to partner with one of our favorite companies, Shady Rays, over at ShadyRays.com. Shady Rays has been the only sunglasses I've used for years now. A lot of you guys know I carry mail for a living, so through the rain, snow, the wind, sleet, sun... You name it, I've carried through it. And even through vacations in the Rockies and on the beach, I've always had my Shady Rays with me. I'm very particular about my sunglasses and love my Shady Rays. They fit great, they're durable, and they're reasonably priced. On top of that, they have a great lifetime warranty that you really need to check out, and it is as good as they say it is. But more importantly, if you buy a pair of sunglasses, that also buys 20 mils for the hungry through feeding america which i just love it when companies are uh, have a conscience and have a, a charitable aspect to them and you as a christmas clatter listener go over to shadyrays.com use promo code xmas clatter and check out to receive 25 percent off and pick up a great pair of sunglasses for you or a gift for someone you love shadyrays.com Promo code XMASCLATTER for 25% off. Shady Rays, now the official sunglasses of Christmas.